Back with the SPDC podcast, I'm Tucker. I'm Joe, and we're here with uh, Dean Carl, uh, Purse, and uh, the Dean of Graduate Studies and Vice Provost. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me as a guest. Yeah, Absolutely. awesome to have you on. Yeah. We've uh, been looking for a guest for this. Is really, you're our first guest. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, me and Aiden and Joe. This is like our first real one doing this together and uh, getting it started. So we were looking. We were like, you know. You'd be an awesome guest to have on because you just came back. Uh, you got uh, came back in the May, mm-hmm. uh, and they gave you all these leadership roles. And we said it would be a really cool opportunity to have you introduce yourself, kind of, to the school as uh, the new dean and vice provost, and uh, just really like get a good conversation going. I love it. I've done some podcasts, so uh, this is a fun thing to do and be able to talk to the community. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for inviting me. Yeah. No problem. It's going to be an awesome day. So uh, just getting started here. So your career has, been, has spanned over various roles and institutions. What unique lessons have you learned from your experiences? Wow, that's such a great question. <laughs> I, I, I've done some interesting things. Yeah. So uh, I've lived in seven states. Mm. I've worked around the country. I've worked around the world. Yeah. Uh, so actually I've worked in uh, 25 different countries uh, through some of my roles that I've had. And one of the things that I have learned very clearly is you always have to be open to new experiences and you always have to be humble in whatever you do. Um, I remember growing up and my family had nothing. We we, we had very little money. Um, In fact, you know, I came to KU and uh, my family couldn't even afford to bring me here for a a visit. One of my teachers um, took a day off and brought me here for a campus visit. Wow, that's awesome. And, you know, I don't know that I understood how much that meant when I was an undergrad student. Yeah. You know, right. what, what that meant for somebody to take a day off of, of work to do something like that. Right. But I've had people like that in my life that have given back to given to me and helped me to be successful. And no matter what I do today, I always look back on all of those little opportunities that helped me get where I am today. And, you know, some people come at it like personal, like I've done this, I've done that. And mm-hmm. I'm only here because of what other people did for me. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the approach that I have at whatever I do from a leadership stance, that it's not about me, it's about everybody else. Yeah, that's awesome. That definitely shows, because, I mean, even in your biography, especially on, like, our website, it highlights the places you've been. has been remarkable. Overall, like you said, 25 countries, mm-hmm. uh, lived in seven different states. You have a family of five, mm-hmm. uh, five children, I mean. <laughs> and, yep. uh, <laughs> so you had definitely had a lot on your plate, but it seems like you obviously handle it really well, and you're a really good leader. Well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Actually, you know, my youngest daughter just started here at KU. Oh, really? Huh? Yeah, just uh, she's going to be a go-getter, too. She um, uh, decided in June to apply for early high school graduation. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And then applied to come here to KU and then told us. 
<laughs> so she figured it out and then said, "Hey, Dad, this is what I'm doing." Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and by the way, I'm living in the dorms. And uh, here's your bill. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh! I mean, how much arguing can you do there? <laughs> She's none, got the plan. <laughs> none whatsoever. And I'm just proud that I could uh, have been a dad to somebody that took that kind of initiative. Yeah. Right. You know, and really is uh, already, she's elected to residence hall uh, council. Oh she gosh. just got into a sorority. So she's, she's setting the world on fire. Right? Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Natural born leader right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been blessed with all of my kids. They, they've, they've all been really good kids that have done some great things in the world already. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. My wife's also a, a, an academic. Um, and a leader in the counseling profession. Okay. So she is uh, a professor of mental health counseling at Palo Alto University. Okay. Uh, which is in the Bay Area, which is uh, Silicon Valley. Right. And so she does some really cool things with tech and gets to work with a lot of startups in, in Silicon Valley, which is you know, home of Google and Facebook. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> so she does some really interesting things in the world. And we actually get to write together. Okay. Oh, so we've awesome. written a couple of books together. We do a lot of presentations. Yeah. Is she still out there? Or is she able to do it virtually? So that's one of the beautiful things. She gets to do it right from our home in Lori Station, right near Whitehall. Oh, that's uh, awesome. That's 100% yeah. remote. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so she puts on a nice top. And then pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sets the Zoom background and sits on the couch. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's the great thing about the world today. Because I know you guys were out there for uh, when you were at Texas A&M San Antonio. Right. So that's probably, I'm thinking that's where it started. And then you, she was able to do it when you guys came back. Um, now, she actually has been with Palo Alto for about eight years. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they have an, had an interesting thing happen there where they are built on a land preserve. And so they ran out of space. They weren't able to build up or out. Right. And so they had to hire some professors at a distance. So they're very much like KU traditional institution. And then they were able to hire folks, um, a few folks. She was the first. Wow. Um, to work at remotely. And so she's a full tenured professor, a department chair, but lives here in Pennsylvania with me. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great for her and you yeah. and your family. That is so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And you've received numerous awards throughout, you know, your career. And can you share a specific moment or award that particular that you're particularly proud of and that has influenced your approach to education and counseling? I, I have been blessed, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, that uh, those awards are all because of the mentorship I had. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll tell you a, a funny story. I went to University of Florida for my doctorate. Right. And uh, University of Florida um, was right after I graduated from Duquesne for my master's degree. Okay. And I remember in Pittsburgh, we had gotten like 30 inches of snow. Um, and I had applied to University of Buffalo, and I applied to University of Florida. We got that 30 inches of snow in one day, and I said, that's it, I'm not going to Buffalo. You made your decision immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so I hadn't gotten Deal accepted breaker. to Florida yet, but yeah. I, they had this group interview. Yeah. And I go down there, and I didn't know anything about University of Florida. Um, and I'm sitting in the group interview, and they asked, why Florida? And the person next to me said, well, you're the U.S. News and World Report number one program in the world. And I was like, 
I'm changing my answer. <laughs> it has nothing to do with snow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it turned out that the professors I had in that program, I mean, it really was the number one program in the world. They had uh, started all of the professional organizations in the counseling world. Yeah. Um, they founded the National Board for Certified Counselors. They founded the... Um, Council for the Accreditation of Counseling or Related Educational Programs. Uh, they had written the national licensure exams. They, they were just incredible people. And, you know, the first thing they did was to take me under their wing and to help me figure out how to be a part of the counseling profession. And when I asked my uh, doctoral chair to be my chair, he said, only if you're committed to giving back. Yeah. Only if you're committed to being of service. Right. And I committed to that right then, right then and there. And uh, they mentored me, and I got my first awards as a doctoral student. I was selected as one of two national fellows as a doc student right. um, to represent the counseling profession with the International Honor Society. Um, and was ended up mentored through that organization. Uh, to be a leader just early on and got elected to be an officer in one of our regional counseling organizations while I was still a student. Um, and so I got into that service role right away. And like I said about that teacher, looking back on how I got to that election or how I got to those awards was by people taking me under their wing. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I've done ever since. Um, so I have always mentored students. I've always mentored young faculty members um, to try to give them the same experiences that, that I had, that I would have never had if I didn't have people take me under my under right. wing. So there's two things in terms of that question that I, I'd like to highlight. First, I won the National Mentorship Award from the American Counseling Association. And, you know... That's one where you don't apply for it, other people nominate you, right? And it was yeah. people that, the wonderful things they said about the impact that I had on their life. Yeah. Um, and to be surprised by that was such a, a huge honor. Um, and it just really lets me know that I've, I've done some things to help other people. And that's what my life's about. The second one isn't an official award. Um, there's a, an association called uh, the Association for Research and Assessment and, and Assessment and Research and Counseling (AARC). The Association for Assessment and Research and Counseling. I shouldn't have flubbed that because I actually came up with the name for the organization. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were a different name, and then we changed it when I was president. Um, every year they give uh, an annual award to whoever brings the most students from a university, and they call it the White Van Award. Um, and that's named after me and my wife. Mm. Uh, so for many years when I was a professor, we would get the university van loaded up with students driving across the country um, <laughs> and be pulling in, rolling right in with our big white van. You know? <laughs> 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 and, and so now every year at the conference when we have our business lunch, they do the white van award for big whichever van. university comes in. And that, that's just a huge honor every time I'm sitting there and they talk about that.
Hello, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this episode of the SBDC podcast. Now, if you are a small business owner and would like to shout out or even be a future guest on the very podcast, you can contact us at azawo 231 at live.kutztown.edu. Again, that's azawo 231 at live.kutztown.edu. Now back to the show. So mentorship and also bringing in more students to the college itself, that's, uh, yeah. you know, the two main things that you took away when yeah. it comes to the awards that you've been given. Exactly. So it seems like mentorship is huge to you when it comes to also how, how you got here and also how you're giving back. So what are some specific plans that you have for graduate studies here at Kutztown? Like how do you plan on connecting with the students, faculty, and staff? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to be a graduate studies dean yeah. in that you do a lot of administrative components. And if that's what all I did, that would drive me nuts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need to be connected. I need to be out there talking to students, figuring out how I could be of service. Yeah. So I've already been uh, reaching out uh, to student government. I've already already been like we just had a meet the dean event yesterday in Old Main, and uh, got a chance to just shake hands and invite people to have lunch with me. Come in in the office and hang out. Talk about your career. Figure out what I can do to support you. Yeah. Um, of course, a lot of it is about thinking about how do you create the right programs that are going to prepare people for uh, the marketplace. Make sure that we've got all the right graduate. Um, awards that are available, financial support, things like that. Yeah. I manage all the graduate assistantships. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, those are really important aspects of my job and I take them very seriously, but I also have to have that part where I'm doing the direct outreach and connecting with students. So um, I have a luncheon coming up with a, one of the grad students this week. I've already invited a, a few grad students to go to a national conference with me in the spring. Um, so just taking the, the initiative wherever I can have it to make those connection points. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah and you definitely seem like you're a great motivational tool for graduate students that can reach out to you and you got, you are a leader to them and you show that in all that you do. That's awesome. So uh, obviously you have great background in mental health and counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think the field has evolved over the years since you've been studying and teaching and uh, been involved in that field? Well, it, it's a, I was just thinking about this the other day, that um, I have had a chance to really be honored by representing the counseling profession in the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. I don't know if you all know what that is. Uh, but it is. it was established by Abraham Lincoln, and it's the independent advisory to the federal government on policy research science uh, components. So I represent the counseling profession in the National Academies. Um, And I've had the privilege, because I've been a techophile, um, really enjoying technology from the beginning. I started with websites coding and uh, developing HTML when I was a beginning professor before there were things like Blackboard and Canvas and all those kind of things. (laughs) Uh, My first presentation at a professional conference was 
this is what PowerPoint is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was like people didn't, it was brand new when I first started, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and they were like, ooh, ah, slides. <laughs> you know, we don't have a chalkboard. Uh, and uh, today I've had the privilege of leading um, the discussion for the National Academies on Artificial Intelligence. Wow. Uh, and for the past few years, that's where I've really been digging my heels in and looking at this evolution. And I had this image in my mind uh, just yesterday. I was talking about it with my wife of the various professions in the healthcare industry, including counseling. Yeah. Just if you, you think of a picture of people standing on a beach and each person represents a different profession yeah. in, in healthcare. Right. And here comes this tidal wave, and the tidal wave's AI. Yeah. And the, everybody on the beach is saying, what is that? Mm. Right. All right. <laughs> it, it, we are in the world's biggest and fastest paradigm shift that's ever occurred in history. Yeah. Uh, when you think of paradigm shifts, um, there are things like the digital watch that I'm wearing, my Apple Watch. Yeah. Um, that was first invented in the 70s. It mm. didn't really become a thing. Right. Uh, until the 90s, 2000s. Right? Yeah. People bought digital watches way back, but not in the 70s. Mm. Um, and now you're more likely to see a digital watch than you are to see a mechanical watch. Yeah, right. absolutely, 100%. Right. Yeah. Um, but when it was first invented, it was uh, attempted to be sold to the Swiss, and they said nobody will buy that. Mm. So it ended up going to Asia, and that's where they started to make it. But it took decades for it to really have a full paradigm shift. Yeah. AI, now it's been around since the 60s, um, but when we're talking about large language model AI like ChatGPT, yeah. that's December of this year. Yeah. And now you're talking about a billion users worldwide in that short of a span. Yeah. And we are seeing it grow so fast and so broadly that it is, we can't even predict what it's going to look like in two years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for looking at healthcare and counseling and what I see as um, that changing from beginning to today, it's huge. So in the counseling profession, we've always talked about doing counseling as me sitting across from you, having a conversation that is based on your psychological functioning, trying to help you figure out how to problem solve, building your wellness. Um, and it's always been this hour-long session, 50 minutes. Um, and that's the way we still train people in all the counseling programs across the country. That's not the way counseling works today. Right. Um, <laughs> since COVID, we've seen these programs develop like um, Talkspace or BetterHelp, mm. where you're doing menu-based selection of counseling that's all telehealth. Right. Um, and you're doing chat-based on text right, every day instead of once a week, right. or you're doing 10-minute video sessions. Right. And we're not training people as a profession yet how to do that. Um, we're still training them to sit across from somebody for 50 minutes. Now, when we start adding AI into that mix, and we start looking at how does that become a thing, that is going to even further revolutionize how we do it. And our training programs are really still far behind the, the eight ball. And that's that tidal wave piece that I'm saying. What is that? Right. Um, by the time we develop um, protocols, by the time we develop training programs, um, it's already going to have evolved beyond that. Right. 
so you guys might not have heard this, but there's uh, companies out there that are already develop developing systems that they call telepresence, mm. um, which is hologram technology. Um, oh. So this is already going to be launched in three months at major hospitals and medical schools to have medical doctors be able to project their holograms. Wow. Uh, and like, like they're at interaction. home. Like they're at home, but like they can or, come and look at these. It hospital. won't be at home. They will be in a office space okay. because that's where the, the projection equipment is. Okay. Yeah. Um, makes sense. And then somebody has to have a receiver. Okay. Right. So if you have a central point, let's say, where there's not a medical professional and you could build a receiver there, they can project into that space. Wow. Wow. Right. Now That's that awesome. that is the real person projecting their hologram. Right? Yeah. Now, what if we add AI into that and it's an AI projected hologram? Mm. Um, there's tons of ethical issues to yeah. discuss yeah. with yeah. Right? <laughs> what the challenges are. Yeah. But also think about how cool that is. Yeah. Right. And but we I grew up watching Star Trek and Star Wars and seeing all these you know, holograms on Star Trek Voyager. There was the hologram doc um, that did the work. It's what's going to happen in the next three months. Yeah. Um, and there's already AI technology out there that can take your voice, 30 seconds of it, and then apply it to any written text. Right, so it's in your voice. Now imagine that your voice now is in the hologram. So you've got me here as a hologram driven by AI in your podcast instead <laughs> of it being me for real. Wow. Okay. That is that is wild. Yeah. That is really cool though. Like doctors could be anywhere in the country and just yeah. boom, there they are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I don't see it as a replacement for counselors or a replacement for doctors, but there's so much time in between sessions or like when you've gone to see a doctor, you spend a lot of time in the waiting room. You spend yeah, a yeah. lot of time in the exam oh, yeah. room by yourself. Absolutely. What if that hologram could be an adjunct and right. can be in there interacting with you, taking information from you, checking on your prescriptions, things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Then it's a useful tool and not a replacement. Right. Yeah. Because how would you, especially when it comes to counseling, how would you replace that human connection? Like if an AI was just kind of spitting out answers right. for someone who yeah. was needed help with something or who had an issue that they needed to overcome, especially if that person knew it was AI, it right. wouldn't be really uh, useful for them. It would just be them kind of talking to themselves and talking to a computer. So You, is you that, would think that, yeah. right? But there's actually AI-driven mental health chatbots out there. Um, they're yeah. used by over 27 million people. Really? And all the research shows near human connections. Really? Wow. Okay. Uh, and people are getting better. Really? And they wow. know that it's an they AI? They know it's AI. Okay. Huh. All right. So there's been research done that Tons shows. Of research. Okay. It's pretty cool. Have you been involved in any research specifically when it comes to that? Um, not as my own projects, but okay. we're working directly with um, some of the developers okay. through the National Academies. Um, and we are working specifically with ChatGPT. Okay. That's awesome. So, like, you might want to try it. Think of a stressful yeah. problem you have. Type it into ChatGPT and ask you to give you some guidance from a counseling perspective. Okay. It yeah. does a good job. Wow. That's really cool. That's what I was going to say. Like, do you think those better helps and all these different types of, like, AI counseling is better or worse or really kind of does the same job as going into an office and sitting for 50 minutes with an actual counselor and talking about your problems face to face or is it better to have oh my gosh I'm in the car and I'm having a mental breakdown let me pull out better help and talk to a chat AI 
uh, mental health AI chat GPT that will kind of help me work through my problem quickly and on the spot. So there's two pieces to that. So one is if you're talking about like BetterHelp or Talkspace, those are live therapists, right? but they're at a distance, they're remote, it's telehealth. Right. Um, and their model is that you can text your counselor as many times as you want per day, but it's in a platform, it's a secure platform, you're not just doing it on your phone like as a text message, right. you have to log okay. into your, your account and text in there. Okay. Your therapist responds twice a day. Okay. Um, and so this, the therapist is spending about 10, 15 minutes each time that they're responding to you, which over five days ends up being an hour of therapeutic right. interaction. Right. Yeah. But as a, as a client, instead of like going through your whole week and trying to remember what was it that I was struggling with last week, yeah. right, you're mm. sending it immediately. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And your counselor is getting back to you at some point that day. Yeah. So you're having constant base interaction that's consistent with your therapist. Right. Right. AI, when you're logging into a chatbot, there's several of them. One is called Wobot, which is really the design of it looks like a little robot. Um, and that robot's in the, so it, to me, is almost adolescent. Mm. Um, but it really can be used by adults too. Mm -hmm. uh, I, just the feel of it when you open it looks kind of adolescent. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's programmed with cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, that's one of them that there's 27 million users for. Mm. Uh, wow. The nice thing about it is that if I log in, it'll say, hey, Carl, good to see you. It's been a week since we talked. Right. Um, here's what we worked on last time. Do you want to continue talking about it? Right. And that's that human connection. And it's immediate. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. it responds immediately. And like, I can say I'm struggling with some depression today. Oh, do you want to work on that? Sure. Um, are you, tell me what you're struggling with. And I'll, I'll put it in there and I'll say, all right, let's do some breathing first and just calm down. Right. Uh, it's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. So there's Tess, there's Wobot, Wysa is another one. Um, and I want to say that on the podcast in case anybody, you know, who's out there who is struggling and okay. doesn't have access to a counselor. Yeah. All you have to do is Google search. These are free apps. Okay. Um, and like I said, they have tons of great research on them. They're AI driven, but they work. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, the difference going back to what you were saying about the, the counselor versus the AI, the way I see it working best is for a counselor, if I am doing even that face-to-face -face session, is to say to my clients, hey, in between this week and next week, Use Wobot every day and right. interact. Or even if I'm a, a better help or a talk space counselor, you know, I'm only getting back to you twice a day. You could use this all day right. in between. And yeah. now you've really got a, a, a convalescence of all of the different forms or convergence, sorry, a convergence of all the different forms of therapeutic interaction. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even know there was that many options out there and available. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, specifically, are there any academic attributions that you've made to ChatGPT or AI or any sort of anything in this realm? When you say attributions, what do you mean? Like uh, contributions. Oh, I, contributions. I, I guess. Okay. I guess. Yeah. 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 So I've been writing uh, with the with the National Academies on AI and the healthcare professions, yeah. um, and have published some articles related to how we're not just changing counseling, but changing medical school. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, I'm getting a chance to lecture to the uh, Radiologist Association um, next month down okay. in West Virginia. And then in November, I'm going to London and leading the plenary speaker on uh, for the Third World Medical Congress. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm getting a lot of um, interesting requests to talk about AI across different professions, yeah. you know, and I want to be clear that I'm not an AI developer. I'm not somebody that knows the, the language of AI to build uh, with superconductors and things like that, but I understand the application side of it, and right. that's where my expertise yeah. lies. Yeah. How do we use it to improve society? Yeah, the problem-solving aspect. Like right. You're given something, you're given a tool, and you have people that need problems solved, so how do I use this tool exactly. to then solve these problems over here? Yes. Yeah. And I use AI all day, every day. Yeah. Um, it's become a part, central part of my life. Yeah. It's a useful tool. It is. Have you guys used it for anything? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially like uh, my role here, I do a lot of like social media and marketing and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And when we're posting things about social media, I'll type in just an example. We say, this is Joe. Joe has a motivational quote on Monday right? or something along those lines. I'll type in a chat GPT, make me a good quote or make me a good caption that will go along with right. an employee who has something to say about this. And it'll give me four options that right. I never would have thought of. Yeah. And I'll look at them and I might not use that exact one, but right. having that tool that I could, in 10 seconds, have four options to pick from, and then that gets my brain going of, maybe I want this word, this word, and this word from each one, and yeah. I create a caption out of that. Yeah, make your own. Yeah. Right. From where, yeah. And even some of the websites we're using for, like to post, there's a website we use that posts on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter all at once, and it has an AI caption generator mm -hmm. and I, I can type inspirational witty uh, uh funny goofy something like that and those are the things i want for my caption and press send and a little bit about like the general topic so i'm we're doing one about um a cybersecurity mm -hmm. seminar coming up so i type in cybersecurity click a couple things generate me a caption with 57 words mm -hmm. and boom it's right there and i'm like this is awesome that's half my job. <laughs> but you're, you're actually using AI the way you're supposed to. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not meant to be a replacement for your thought process. No. Right. It's yeah. meant to be an assistant. And we're, we're actually in the health profession <clears throat> calling it a co-pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's not that you type something into AI, ask for a response, and then just submit that. Right. You have to critically think about it walk through it, pick and choose from it, make it fit for what you need it for. Right. But it's a resource generator. Yeah. Yeah. It is a it is a great tool that I never would have thought would have been in my lifetime, honestly. When it got introduced, I was like, there's no way. My mom is a elementary school teacher, and when they put it in her school back in, like, December, the right. IT guy who, like, installed it on computers who was showing them it was like, seriously, like, Type in, I want five paragraphs about an apple with a worm in it, and boom, there it is. And my mom and all the other teachers in the school were like, this is crazy. Like, this is some next-level, like, technology. Right. And the guy was telling them, like, this is going to blow up. Like, this is going to be in everything in the next few months, and now look at it. Yeah. Professionals all over the world use it. So it is, it is really awesome now. And I know there's going to be so many of your listeners that haven't tried it yet. Right. Uh, right. And by the time they try it, it's going to have evolved again. Right. Right. Because it just keeps keeps improving. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the limits of ChatGPT was that it uh, was 
database was only up to 2021, now it's 2022, yeah. but there's other um, AI, large language model AIs that are out there now. So we've got Bing and uh, Claude AI that are, and Google is developing one that is called MedPlan2 um, that is um, not public yet, but that one is trained, you know, you have to train the AI. Yeah. Um, right. That one is trained with medical school curriculum. Wow. And <laughs> the, the beta on it has already passed the medical uh, board exam with an 85% and wow. is highly accurate in diagnosis. Mm. Wow. Right? So by the time that comes out for public use, it's going to be even better. Right. Yeah. Uh, the average doctor doesn't pass with an 85%. <laughs> right. <so. laughs> yeah. So that's the thing with AI, right? Like there's certain things like ChatGPT, it's very general in nature. Right. So... Uh, I'm sorry, what was the name of the program? MedPalm2. MedPalm2. So that specifically has more specific data related to the medical field. Yes. Do you think there's going to come a time where that's not even going to be needed, where there's just going to be an AI that can be as specific as possible and it's just also general as well? Exactly. You know, we're we're building silos right now and and trying to build pieces that are specific, but eventually AI is going to be that part, like when we're in Star Trek, hey, computer, tell me this. Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, We're not that far from it. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of putting them together as we silo them, as you said. Well, most of your listeners are using AI every day. We sit at home, we're like, hey, Alexa. Make, make sure my phone doesn't kick <laughs> <laughs> uh, But we say, hey, Alexa, right? And yeah. Alexa's pretty limited in, in its AI capability. People get frustrated with Alexa's responses sometimes. Right. Yeah. But imagine if you are then <clears throat> infusing something like a chat GPT into Alexa. Yeah. Right? Imagine that Alexa has a hologram projector. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's what we're heading towards. It's what Not we're heading far. towards. Yeah. In fact, Google says that... Uh, um, in three years, everybody will have an AI-driven robotic uh, assistant. Wow. That is crazy to think about. Yeah. So you, you're saying like a real assistant or just like on yeah. your phone? Like a real assistant? No, a real assistant. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is something crazy <laughs> to think about. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, and there's people that are going, nah, that's not true. That's not going to happen it's, yeah, that is, it's like mind-boggling to think about that. Like, that's not far away, three years. Well, this goes back to what I was saying about standing on the beach and watching the tide. Right, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we're just, you know, figuring out how do I get the water that's right in front of me out of the way, yeah, yeah. we're going to get crushed by that everyone. Hope you're enjoying this episode of the SBDC podcast. Now, if you are a small business owner and would like to shout out or even be a future guest on the very podcast, you can contact us at azawo 231 at live.kutztown.edu. Again, that's azawo 231 at live.kutztown.edu. Now back to the show.
So what's what's your specific? Do you have any thoughts about students using AI when it comes to their studies, using it as a tool versus using it? You know, it could potentially be used as plagiarism. Where do you think that line stands when it comes to that? Um, you know, this is, what happens with a paradigm shift is people go to one end of the pendulum because every time there's a system shift, the the system tries to remain stable. Yeah, they call that morphostasis. Mm. Um, and um, so people are fighting against that change. Right. Uh, for me, I don't see that we should be developing policies to not use AI in the classroom. We really have to teach people, just like you're doing, how right. to use it effectively and ethically. Right. Right. In fact, I want to coach people in the classroom. Yeah. This is how you use it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've taught... Uh, in graduate school every semester up until this semester when I came in to KU. Mm -hmm. And I've been teaching my students in the classroom, all right, here's a discussion board post. Yeah. All right, put that into ChatGPT. See what ChatGPT produces. All right. Right. Now, does that fit for your book yeah. and what you've read? So you got to tweak it. you got to work with it, but use it as that jumping off point. Get right. some potential ways that you can use it and add to it. Make it your own. Yeah, yeah. Um, use that as a time saver. Yeah. AI could save 70% of our administrative writing time, right? Yeah. Figure out how to do that effectively. Absolutely. It also comes down to the prompts, too, how you ask it, what you ask it, things like that. The there's, audience, a, there's a new the... profession called prompt engineer. Yeah. That's a yeah. new job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so people have will reach out to me and say, oh, well, I tried this with ChatGPT and it didn't work. It's mostly their prompt yeah. that didn't mm. work, right? Figuring out how to do the prompt correctly or how to refine your prompts to make it more effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What kind of off topic, but not really, what made you come back to Kutztown? Was it, the, was it your daughter coming to Kutztown? Was it uh, just the home kind of feel that you have with Kutztown? What was it? I've been trying to find a way to come back to Kutztown for a few years now, for many years, I should say. Um, I even thought about it um, about a decade ago, and the right job at the right time at the university never ended right. up being the case. So um, when COVID hit, I got a case of long COVID yeah. um, and uh, really got very, very sick. Yeah. Um, and it made me really rethink my profession. Mm -hmm. uh, my professional life, and uh, I wanted to be back home, closer to my family. Yeah. Um, my I grew up in the Wilkesboro Scranton area. All my family uh, still okay. lives there. I'm the only one who moved away. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so when the vice provost job came open, I applied for it, and uh, just crossed my fingers and hoped I was a fit. And uh, so my daughter decided to come here after I got the job. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, she would have had to switch high schools and mm. to finish up her senior year. Right. Uh, and, I, you know, obviously a, a good choice to just make that move into college if you've already got the credits. Yeah, uh, But for me, it was really a dream to come back and to give back to the university that started my career. Yeah, right. Uh, and so I, I've said this to everyone. Oh. Hey. <laughs> It's, the, it's like the gong. <laughs> I, I talk too much. Uh, uh, I've said this to everybody. This is my last university in my career. And I'll be here until you guys don't want me anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'm 
56. I'm not old, you know, I'm not going to retire anytime soon or anything like that, but I have no desire to go to another institution or to go to another business. You know, I've done the things I've wanted to do professionally outside at other institutions and organizations. Um, I got a chance to be the CEO of the world's largest counseling organization. And like I said at the beginning, to work around the world. Now it's time to really think about how do I grow our community here at KU? How do I help the students here? Um, and how do I have that balance where I'm connected with my extended family at the same time? Yeah, right. Absolutely. That is awesome because I, I know you are a first-generation college student. Yes. So you can also, how do you, if someone came to you as a first-generation college student and asked you with your struggles and things they're struggling with, how do you feel that you could uh, help in that field with things you've experienced and now you have come back to the place that you were originally started after being in all these different places and having an extensive career and really sticking, sticking your feet in the ground here and really making an impact? Well, first, if you walk up to the third floor of Stratton, there's a, a quote by President Hawkinson that's up there. Through these doors walk some of the world's most important people. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're a first-generation student or if you come from a wealthy family. You can achieve anything. The way you do it when you're a first-generation college student is to let people know what help you need. Yeah, right. To be able to ask for it. I know that for me... Coming from poverty, I had a lot of shame around that when I was young. Mm. I was afraid to ask people for help. Yeah. Um, and that's what I would say to the students, you know, just let people know what you need. Yeah. Um, ask for mentorship. Ask for connections with your faculty members. Um, the, that's the only way they're going to know that you're invested, too. Mm. Um, I think that I can never be more invested than the people I'm trying to help. Yeah. Right? Right. You have to have that skin in the game. Yeah. And so um, you could hold on to that identity uh, of struggle and um, you know, the multi-generational poverty and all those kind of things, or you can say that fuels me for what I want to do next. And that's kind of the way I look at it, and I try to, and to help people to see it that way. You know, when you come from a, a difficult background you look, and, and you get through that, you have a, a set of resilience uh, resources that are within you and you have to learn to tap into those and build on them and use them to your advantage yeah, rather than right. for them to something to pull you down yeah. right. absolutely wow that's, that's awesome well this has been awesome thank you being for being our first guest you've definitely been one of the best. <laughs> <laughs> so next time somebody asks me about my greatest accomplishment, I was one of the best on the podcast <laughs> when I was the first. <laughs> oh. oh, gosh. Well, yeah, well, with that statement, let's make him the best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have to but, add some caveats with that. The, the best to date. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, till two weeks when we have Dean and Carol. Right, right. <laughs> exactly, right. I am no. sure she will blow me out of the water. Uh, no, all jokes aside, this has been awesome. It's yeah. been awesome having you on, having you talk. You're a great guest. You're a great uh, person to talk to. Some, yeah. At some point here, I feel like I'm just sitting at a table talking to you, not even mm -hmm. having an interview for a podcast. And that's yeah. here, what the feel we wanted this to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how we tried to make our questions, too. We don't want you being like, 
hey, this, 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 this. We want to have you talk and have you talk about your experiences, your leadership roles, and we feel like that's why we wanted you on. You've been all over the world, been all over the United States, had multiple different roles, and it's awesome to have you back here at Kutztown. Um, and I feel that you really fit into the role that Kutztown portrays, that we are family, we have, mm-hmm. this is home. And uh, I'm from South Jersey, I've been here five years, and I feel that, like this is, I'm leaving after this year. What am I going to do? <laughs> but uh, again, thank you for coming on. It's been great. Uh, and we hope to have you on again at some point here. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Hey, it's good to be golden, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thank you.